0: Rushers, you go ahead and take this morning's um, tithes and offerings. And here's what we're doing today. We are starting a brand new series. We just finished our series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're doing a series that is just for the month of August. So it's four Sundays only. And uh, if you want to, you can pull out your phone. I don't have mine with me right now. But if you, if you have the Evangel app, you pull it up right now. And there are notes you can follow along as we go. And uh, so you could do that today. But we're starting this new series. And the series is called... You Ready? wisdom is lit. Okay. Now some of you are going, I don't know what that means. Okay. If you don't know what that means, you just dated yourself. Okay. This is something that all the young people say. And, And now you can get all outraged and go, no, no, I'm young. You're not. If you didn't know what that meant... You're not. So, so here's, here's what we did. When I was in Bible college, you know, we studied different parts of the Bible, of course. And, and there's part of the Bible that is called wisdom literature. And so we had a class that we took called wisdom literature. And for short form, of course, because we were cool, we called it wisdom lit. Okay. And so this is about wisdom lit. But then today, if you want to say something is cool, you say it's lit. Okay, just try it with me because you need to get the attitude with it. Okay, so right, here we go. One, two, three, you just go, it's lit. Okay, turn the person beside you, go, it's lit. Okay, if you're still not sure what it means and you're from a different generation, let me throw you some, some other options that might help you to understand what it means when you say something is lit. If you're from the 60s, you might say wisdom is groovy. Okay, or maybe from the 70s, it's far out. okay. If you're from the 80s, you might go, wisdom is decent, okay? <laughs> or it's cool, or it's sick, or it's any of those things. But today what we say is wisdom is lit. Okay? And then just to just to totally confuse you, because we're all church family. How many go, we are church family here? Okay? You're afraid to raise your hands. It's a trap. Okay. <laughs> We're doing a hashtag for this series, and and I was told this week, and I've been actually practicing saying this all week because I'm not comfortable with it either. But we're gonna we're gonna do this together. So if you want to tweet about this or Facebook about this, you can use the hashtag, and it's wisdom is lit fam like family. Okay, try it with me. You ready? One, two, three. Wisdom is lit fam. Okay, turn the person beside you. Try it again. Wisdom is lit. Okay. And you're just like, I am in the best church in Montreal. Just raise your hand right now. I am in the best church in Montreal. Okay. So, so I I thought I would throw this out a little bit this week. And so I put on Facebook, I, I put one of the sayings out there that my dad taught me um, when I was a child and I've hung on to it for a long time. And he said, the middle of the ocean is no place to quit rowing that's good wisdom, right? Just keep going if you're in the middle of the ocean. And so I put that on Facebook and on Twitter, and I just threw it out there and said, hey, if you have something else, the sayings that you live by, not particularly biblical, but just kind of wisdom. And so we had a bunch of people that responded. And so we have a few of them on the screen today. So somebody said, oh, some of the wisdom I have is failure to learn is not an option. That's good, right? And then somebody else said, die first, quit later. I like that person. Okay. That somebody else said, "Always stay humble and kind." That's good wisdom. And then and then my favorite one was, "Not my monkeys, not my circus." I don't even know what that means. I just like I just like it. Right? it's it's good wisdom. And so, and, and so if you have wisdom that you want to share with the rest of Evangel, you just put it on Facebook or put it on Twitter, on Instagram, use the hashtag wisdom is lit fam, like that. And then you can, you can put it out there. And so, so we did all that. And so the idea of, of wisdom and this idea of wisdom that we're looking at this month, it's, it's, um, it's this idea that there's more to life than just following the rules, Right. You, you can't make enough rules in the world to create wisdom for everybody. And, and sometimes the question, you know, we get stuck on these questions of, is something allowed or is it not? Which is really much more about law. Like, what's the rule? But, but sometimes the question is not, is it allowed or is it not? The question is, is it wise? Is there wisdom in something that I'm about to do or in a decision I'm about to make? Because how many know it's possible to be right and still be unwise? Or really foolish, right? So somebody goes, for example, you know, the pedestrians have the right of way. You're right. But if you walk out into an intersection and decide to fight that out with a car speeding through, you might be right. You're very unwise, Okay. And so it's possible to be right and not have wisdom. And so so wisdom is just something that goes through every area of life. It goes through um, politics and through family and through education and through our jobs and through how we handle our finances and, and work and art and nature. And so we use different kinds of phrases. Like if we say something is, is bad optics, we go, well, you know, it was allowed, but it wasn't very wise. It looks bad, right? Or when somebody talks about, you know, we all have common sense or we don't have common sense, often what we're referring to is, is wisdom. And the difficulty is we all have different definitions of what that means. But so we're going to look at wisdom and we're going to look at wisdom in the Bible and in ancient Israel. And so in, in ancient Israel, there were kind of three ways that God connected or communicated with his people. And you can see it in Jeremiah eighteen eighteen, where there's this verse that says, we will always have, number one, priests to teach us God's laws, as well as wise people to give us advice. And prophets to speak the Lord's messages. So three ways that God connected with his people. Law, prophecy, and wisdom. So law was, you know, very, very do this, don't do this. Law was very specific. It was very uh, non-negotiable. It was very, this is, it's not up for discussion, Okay. The prophecy, when God um, communicated through prophecy, it tended to be um, for a specific situation. And it tended to be um, God intervening. And there was some usually some drama attached to it in some way. And it usually was a warning that was specific to a situation. Like, turn away from this sin. You need to turn back to God. A call to repentance. That kind of thing. And it often was at, at a national level or at a community level in ancient Israel. And that was another way that God would connect with his people. Or communicate with him. But wisdom, wisdom is woven all the way through life. Wisdom is part of just, just everything we do. It's, it's the stuff of life, it's how life is supposed to work. And so when there's not a specific law or there's not a prophet nearby shouting something out, wisdom is, is where we land. Wisdom is how we're supposed to live. And so wisdom was very valued in ancient Israel, It's very highly valued. They believed that wisdom is lit. Fam. That's what they said in Hebrew. No, they didn't. Okay. We just need to try that again, okay? I need you to say this. Work this hashtag with me. We're going to drill this into you. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Wisdom is lit fam, okay? And Israel believed that wisdom was lit. They believed that it was very important, and it was very valuable. If you were a good king, then you had good advisors and counselors in your court. If you were a bad king, it's probably because you had some really bad advisors that, and, and, and there's repeated references all the way through scripture about having wisdom, and it was really highly valued. And the assumption was that true wisdom was God-centered, that's where wisdom came from. So it started with this idea of a, of a reverence for God, a really, a really healthy awe of God. It, and some scriptures, uh, some versions call it the fear of God. But it's not, it's not terror and being afraid and running away. It's this fear, this reverence, this awe of God. It, this acknowledgement, you know, that God is God and I am not. So, and coming from that place for this, this true God-centered wisdom. So it's more than just savvy or know-how or understanding, you know, how the world works. It's understanding and revering how God works. And then it comes from that assumption and assumes that, that since God is the creator, then how God works is the way the world is supposed to work. And so wisdom comes from that basis. Hands up if you're, if you're tracking with me so far. Good? Good. Okay. So we're going to look at biblical wisdom through August and we're going to specifically look at the book of Proverbs. Now there's, there's other parts that are part of wisdom literature and we may come to them another time. Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes are all part of wisdom literature. Ecclesiastes and, and Job, um, they, they kind of address the exceptions when, when Proverbs doesn't work. When the, wizard, when the world's not working the way it's supposed to, Ecclesiastes and Job kind of address those moments. But Proverbs is working with, with principles and with probabilities of how God's world is supposed to work. It's not promises. It's just principles. Principles and probabilities of how the world's supposed to work. And so it's this idea that, that God has woven wisdom right into the fabric of the world. And this is how things are supposed to work. This is really how the world works. So Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, I'm just giving you a little context here, was written primarily by a guy named Solomon. There's, there's three authors in Proverbs, and, but Solomon wrote most of it. And, and he was one of the ancient kings of Israel. And I just want to, Solomon really valued wisdom. He was King David's son, and, and so he highly valued wisdom. And when his dad died and he became king, well, you could imagine it's a lot to take in, right? And so, so you can see this story of what God did for him. So I just want you to understand a little bit of who Solomon is in first Kings chapter three. It says one night while Solomon was in Gibeon, this is at the beginning of his reign, the Lord God appeared to him in a dream and said, Solomon, ask for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon answered, my father, David, your servant was honest and did what you commanded. You were always loyal to him. And you gave him a son who's now king. That's Solomon, me. Lord God, I'm your servant, and you've made me king in my father's place. But I am very young, and I know so little about being a leader. And now I must rule your chosen people, even though there are too many of them to count. Please make me wise and teach me the difference between right and wrong. And then I will know how to rule your people. If you don't, God... There's no way I could rule this great nation of yours. I mean, it's just this amazing humility, right? Solomon had been raised by a king. He had been raised in royalty. It would have been very easy for him to come in and go, I got this. I got this figured out. I know what I'm doing. I don't need to. Other kings came to power at different times in Israel's history, and they had that attitude. I don't need wisdom. I know everything. But Solomon, he just has this humility. He's just going, God, you, you just told me I could have anything I want. I want help. I want wisdom. I'll take door number one, all the wisdom that you have. That's what I would like so that I can do this well. And of course, God, God just loves that response. And so it goes on in the story and it says, God said, Solomon, I'm pleased that you asked for this. You could have asked to live a long time or to be rich, or you could have asked for your enemies to be destroyed. Instead, You asked for wisdom to make right decisions. So I'll make you wiser than anyone who has ever lived or ever will live. I'll also give you what you didn't ask for. You'll be rich and respected as long as you live and you'll be greater than any other king. If you obey me and follow my commands as your father David did, I'll let you live a long time. Isn't that amazing? Like what a story. And, and so, so this is now Solomon who's written Proverbs. Now, was he a perfect king? No. Made some significant mistakes. There's no question. But he was a very successful king. He did really very well. And he wrote the guy. He's the guy that wrote the majority of Proverbs. And so you're going to see that he had God-centered wisdom. And if he was alive today, he would say, you want to say it with me? Wisdom is lit, Fam. Okay? You're getting this. It's, it's good. So we're going to look at Proverbs. And instead of going through Proverbs from beginning to end, Proverbs is a lot of statements that are almost, they seem almost unrelated. They're, they're kind of little short versions of things. And we're going to take four weeks, and we're going to look at four topics that are covered in Proverbs, and then tie them in with other parts of Scripture and Christian life. So today, we're going to look at the concept of work in Proverbs. Okay? Now, here's the problem. I was like, this is easy. This is no problem. I can just talk about work and people will go, woo, that was good, Pastor Buddy. Changed my life and it'll all be fine. And then I started working on it. <laughs> now, here's the problem with talking about work in Proverbs, okay? Some of us have a completely unbiblical view of work, okay? Not you, the person beside you, okay? And, and, some, and there's reasons for that, And sometimes they're really valid reasons. And so some of us, not you, the person beside you, some of us, we we view work as something that is inherently bad. Something that we have to put up with. Something that, you know, is is a curse. And we just can't wait until the day when we don't have to work anymore and we could just, you know, sit and walk you know, all the time. And it's, it's left us in this place sometimes where we view work as something that's really bad. So we talk about work and, and people go, oh, it's, it's exploitation. Or we talk about work and it's just totally demoralizing because, you know, maybe your boss is really difficult. Or, or it infringes on family time. And so we look at work as something that, ugh, we don't like it, we don't want to do it. And so then we, if I just start reading to you what Proverbs has to say about work, for example, like, like Proverbs 10.4, laziness leads to poverty, hard work makes you rich. Like some of you right now are going, I can't believe she said that. That is so rude. Could you imagine if I just put that out on Twitter just, just right now and just, yeah, laziness. And I didn't say it was from the Bible. I just put this quote that said, laziness leads to poverty. Hard work makes you rich. I mean, Twitter would just explode. The social media world would be so outraged. How can you say that? Don't you know that there's times you're, you're so judgy when you say that. And there are lots of people that work hard and they don't get rich. And, and there's lots of people who are poor and you just called them lazy and we do work and we're still in pot. Listen, I'm agreeing with all of it. We all know somebody that doesn't fit that principle, right? And, and, and so from that framework, if I just, if I just read that and go, let's just keep going, Proverbs is going to look pretty, pretty judgy. Or or if I if I threw up Proverbs twelve twenty four where it says, Work hard and you'll be a leader, be lazy and you'll end up a slave. What? Right? <laughs> It's so offensive. It's so, you can't just say that. And, and slavery through history and around the world, all the instances of slavery that have happened and that happening today, it is not due to laziness, okay? That is not what has been. And there's lots of people that work hard and they don't get to be the boss. They don't get to be the leader. And so I'm agreeing with your outrage, okay? And, and if, if we're looking at Proverbs from that framework, then our heads are going to explode, okay? So take a deep breath can be okay. Because we're, we're going to come at Proverbs because we're, we got to remember Proverbs is working from God-centered principles. It's working from this, this principle of how God created the world that says work inherently is and was supposed to be a good thing. And, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a positive thing. It's part of life. It's part of living. And, and it's good for society to have a healthy, respectful view of work, a positive view of work. And if that's not the case and a society isn't functioning that way, well, then the answer is not to not work. The answer is not that work should be vilified and work itself is evil. No, the answer is to do whatever is in our power to fix what's wrong. Yes, Patty, that was awesome brilliant, right? And the answer is whether individually or societally to redeem the idea of work and bring it back to the place that God planned it to be all along. So Proverbs is coming from that framework. So I I found four probabilities, four um, principles that Proverbs has about work. So, So here we go. You ready? Number one, work is a good thing. Okay. Say that with me. Ready? Number one, work is a good thing. Wisdom is lit, fam. Okay. Work is a good thing. People think of work as a negative. They think of it as a curse. They go, well, it's because there's sin in the world that we have to work. It's something we have to live with. The truth is work was part of the world before anything went wrong. And in the Garden of Eden, it was part of God's plan that work, healthy, positive work, would be part of how the world functioned. It's sin that created exploitation. And it's sin that created laziness. And it's sin that created, you know, work addiction, workaholics. But work itself was supposed to be something that was good. We were created to work. We were created to be productive. We were created to, to understand having satisfaction of looking at something that we've done and that we've done well. So in Genesis chapter 1, 28, at the very beginning when 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 the earth had just been created and Adam and Eve had been formed, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. That's work. There's responsibility there. There are tasks, things to be done. In Genesis 2.15, just a little bit later, it says again, God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend it and to watch over it. How many of you have ever worked a garden? It's work. It's work. It's hard work. And God worked. Genesis chapter two, verse one says, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. And so God rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And we're made in God's image. We are created to, to represent, to look like God. And God worked. And God admired when he had done a good job. Good job. And, and he, he admired his accomplishments. And then God rested. And we can do the same thing. So, so work is a good thing. And, and so part of our faith is to redeem that, to reclaim that work and confidently say, you know, work is good and to work as part of our worship, work as part of our faith, as part of being the image of God. Okay? Turn the person beside you and go, wisdom is lit, fam. Okay? Here we go. Number two, working well leads to living well. Okay? Just let that sentence settle in. Don't get outraged. Working well leads to living well. Let me give you some scriptures from Proverbs. Here we go. Proverbs 12 24. Work hard and you'll be a leader. Be lazy and you'll end up a slave. Proverbs 10:4. Laziness leads to poverty. Hard work makes you rich. Proverbs 13:4. No matter how much you want, laziness won't help a bit. But hard work will reward you with more than enough. Remember, we're working with principles, probabilities, how God's world is supposed to work, okay? Proverbs nineteen fifteen: if you are lazy and sleep your time away, you will starve. Okay, <laughs> be nice to each other. Proverbs 20, 13, if you sleep all the time, you will starve. If you get up and work, you will have enough food. Proverbs fifteen nineteen. a lazy person refuses to clear a thorny path, but everyone who does right walks on a smooth road. Working well leads to living well. There are rewards to work. If there aren't rewards to work, then something's wrong. Something is going wrong with God's world. And sometimes something is wrong. There's no question. Um, sometimes there's, there's slavery where, where people are, are, are oppressing other people. It's horrible. That's wrong. It's not the way God wanted it. There's exploitation sometimes. There's natural disasters that disrupt crops and, and work and all of that kind of a thing. There's, we sometimes get sick or we go into depression or we're struggling or whatever, and we, can't, we just can't do it. But in a God-centered framework, in the basic principles of how the world was created to work and how it's supposed to function, working well leads to living well, okay? Now, I'm going to not make eye contact with any of you at this moment, okay? Laziness, on the other hand, is a problem. Not you, not even the person beside you. Three seats down, okay? Laziness in Scripture is a problem because if we are just lazy and we simply just don't want to work, well, I don't, I don't like working. I don't want to work. Well, then we're probably going to starve. Or we're never going to have clean clothes again because it's work to do laundry. Or things aren't going to improve and the things that we want out of life probably aren't going to happen. The road's not going to get smoother because we're not doing the work we need to do to, to make a way. And if, if we simply just prefer not to work at all, in any way, then in a, in a God-centered framework, I'm going to go hungry. Why? Because society isn't taking care of me? No, because I'm lazy. Got very quiet in here. Can I, can I just tell you, I've been pastoring for 23 years or so, okay? I started when I was 10 years old. And, um, and can I just tell you, there are lots of people... Who are super hard workers? There's no question. Lots of people who are really hard workers, and 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 they don't. I don't think that they get everything that they deserve. And if I had the power, I would give them all a raise and and better whatever they wanted to make the work exactly what they wanted it to be. There are lots of people who are not only working hard, but they're working to juggle responsibilities. They're, they're parents, and they have they have children to look after of all different ages, and they they have parents to look after some of them, and they have different bills and different complications, and they're they're working at outside jobs, some of them, and they're trying to juggle all of that, and it's super complicated, and and I'm just totally acknowledging that there's lots of people out there who are like that. Yes? Okay. There are also people who just don't seem to want to work at all, unless everything is precisely the way they want it to be, and the truth is, Proverbs doesn't have a lot of patience for that. And the truth is, you know, we're, we're very, very blessed because in Canadian society, we got it going, we, we got it going pretty good here. And, and you can live a long time without working if you want to in Canadian society. But I'm just saying, you're not going to rise to a place of leadership. You're not going to move to your dream job if you're not willing to do the work to get there. You're not going to make a positive difference. You're not going to be a a life-changing impact in the world around you. You're not going to make a difference in the world. You're not even going to finish earning your university degree if you aren't willing to do the work, okay? So work is good, and working well tends to lead to living well. We're still okay? Number three, work has seasons, Work has seasons. I love this. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5 says, at harvest season, it's smart to work hard, but stupid to sleep. (laughs) I just love Proverbs. It's just so blunt, okay? Work has seasons. At harvest season, it's smart to work hard, but it's stupid to sleep. Why? Well, because sometimes there's a small window of time to get the results of your work or to accomplish what it is that you need to do. And if you miss that window... Well, you're going to have less results. So if you're a farmer, my grandparents were farmers. If you're a farmer, you don't take vacation in August. That's when you're harvesting, okay? And it's all well and good. Well, I'm owed that vacation. Well, okay, but the corn's going to rot in the ground. And so, so you don't take, if you're in retail, for example, maybe your harvest season is, is November or December with the Christmas rush, that's when people are buying stuff. If you are, if you're a person who does taxes, your harvest season is what? February to April is work night and day doing taxes for people. Um, if you're an educator or you're a student, your harvest season is, is during the school year. Am I right? Right? You, and, and that's when that's when the work is getting done. If you're a parent, I, my understanding, I'm not a parent, but my understanding is if you're a parent, your season is about 14, 15, 18 years long. Okay? It's just... It's just crazy. And you just you just keep working. And and Pastor Shannon, you know, she just put in a boatload of extra hours last week because we had our evangel day camp. She didn't go, well, just go ahead. We're gonna have this big program. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be off on a beach somewhere. It was harvest season. So you work, work has seasons. Now, my dad, my dad was a pastor. And um, I remember him telling me when he first started pastoring, he was an assistant pastor at a church, and, and they were in this season in their church where just everything was growing like crazy, like they couldn't keep up. And so they had to do a building program, and they had all this stuff happening, and it was just going so fast, and it was his job to organize it and try to make it all functional, you know, get all the leadership ready and everybody, everybody doing it. And he just, and it sounds really wonderful, but it's actually really a lot of work. And so they had any, he just couldn't keep up. And so they, they had a consultant that came in, in the middle of it. And he talked to this consultant and he said, you know, what I'd like to do is I'm just wondering, could we just put everything on hold? Just, just pause it just so I can catch up. Can we just pause it just for a moment so that I can catch up and I can get everything organized. And the consultant said, nope, you can't pause. If you pause, you will lose momentum. And the consultant said, you are in a season right now, and it's not going to last forever. But while you're in this season, you got to keep on going. You got to do the work. And he was right. That season didn't last forever. And eventually, my dad found space to breathe again and go back to a normal schedule. But for a while, it was harvest season. And if he had just gone to sleep, he would have missed it. So some of us, you know, our work is less seasonal and, and it's harder to identify one of the busy times and one of the down times. But, but there are t- still times, I think, during a shift most of the time when there's a little bit less work or there's a little bit more work. There's times when you have a day off. There's times when you're working overtime. There's t- vacation time. There's holidays, stat holidays. And times, you know, when the kids are napping for three and a half minutes. And, and, and work ends up balancing out, or, or it should, and, and we need to have wisdom about when we should be working and when we should be resting or sleeping. And some of us, can I just say, some of us don't take time off even when we have the time, even when we have the chance. We don't take time off, and then we burn out, and we think work was a bad thing. But even God rested at the end of his season of creating. Still good? Say it again with me. Wisdom is lit, fam nice. That's good. One more. Number four. Another principle in Proverbs. Work is relational. Um, Here's what Proverbs says in 1026. Having a lazy person on the job is like a mouthful of vinegar or smoke in your eyes. I was going to try and take a picture of one of our staff this week with vinegar in their mouths, but I couldn't get any of them to do it. So anyway, Proverbs 1435 says, kings reward servants who act wisely, but they punish those who act foolishly. Proverbs twenty-seven, eighteen says, take care of a tree and you'll eat its fruit. Look after your master. You'll be praised. Proverbs twelve, twenty-seven: anyone too lazy to cook will starve. But a hard worker is a valuable treasure. Work is relational. How we work impacts the people around us. How we do our jobs impacts the different people that we're interacting with and who are around us. And so we need, as followers of Jesus, we need to do our jobs in a way that recognizes that. In a way that, that so, 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 but so we're somebody who, who's considered a treasure, somebody who adds value to the job that we're doing, somebody that when we're on the schedule, the boss or the supervisor or the manager or whoever is going to go, oh, good, I'm glad they're on the shift because I know they got this. I know they're going to work hard. I know they're going to get the job done. I can rely on them. Or, or somebody that, that, that the coworkers around us say, hey, can I be scheduled with them? Because I really like working with them. Their attitude's great, and, and I know that they're going to carry their fair share. Or can I just tell you that uh, I think it was just last Sunday that we had Fifth Sunday. And so Fifth Sunday's a lot of work to pull all that together. And, and I was sitting here in the front row, and, and we had been working like crazy to pull it all together. And I was sitting in the front row at the beginning of, of our Fifth Sunday service where all this stuff was happening. And I realized I wasn't nervous at all. And then I got nervous because I thought I should be nervous. There's something I'm forgetting. And so then I was nervous because I wasn't nervous. And so I was trying to figure out why am I not nervous about Fifth Sunday? There's so many moving parts, there's so many uh, different pieces. And I should, be, I should be really nervous and really stressed about how this is all going to come together. And then I realized, well, I'm not nervous. And you know why? Because we have a great staff team here at Evangel. We have a phenomenal group of people. Listen, our staff here at Evangel, they're treasures. They are hard workers and they are valuable treasures, and they're reliable and they're joyful and they're cooperative and they're flexible, and they' organized and they make stuff work, and how they work impacted us last Sunday. How they work impacts all of us in everything that happens. So work is relational. Work is relational, and how we work reflects our character to others, and it determines our reputation. We're good. Okay, one more time. One, two, three. Okay, we're going to do this hashtag. Okay, open your mouth. Do it with me. It's the last time, I promise. You ready? One, two, three. Wisdom is lit, fam.
1: Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, Work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on Mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship.
0: Would you stand with me? Stand up. I'm going to pray over you today. Because most of us are walking out of here and we're going into the rest of our lives. Whatever that looks like in our work. And I want to pray that God blesses you in that this week. So if you, if you want to, I always hold out my hands as a symbol of openness to God. It's not magic. It's just what I do. And you can join me in that if you want. God, at this moment, we're just, we're here, all of us. And every single one of us has a different story. And some of us, some of us are students. Some of us are looking for work. Some of us are at a season, we're between jobs, and it it might be due to sickness or just a seasonal thing or whatever. Some of us are are parents, and we're looking after our kids at home or or elsewhere. Some of us are, are, um, we're just, there's all kinds of things that are going on. So God, each of us has a calling on our lives to be who you've called us to be, and to do what you've called us to do. And it's really easy for us to think that maybe some of the work that we do doesn't matter. And yet you created us to work and you created us to do that well and to do it productively and to find satisfaction in doing that. So Lord, for each one, as we go out and as we go to our various jobs or however we define our work, I'm asking that in each of those places, you would be so present that you would help us to carry Jesus into those places that you would help us to work in a way that is relational and that that impacts the people around us, that you would help us to work well and that we would see the results of that and be able to live well, that we would see our ability to work as an amazing privilege and a good thing that you created us to do. God, for those that need help in these various areas, whether they're looking for a job or, or there's toxic situations at work or whatever is going on, would you intervene... And would you make right what isn't right now? Would you show them the path and give them wisdom as they walk it out and try to figure out, how do I interact with my boss? How do I, how do I learn to do this job? How do I handle what, what I just can't handle? How do I do that? God, I am truly asking you to give wisdom in each of those areas. And would you make us the kind of people that others would look at us and go, wow, there's something different about them even in the way they work. I'd like to find out what it is. Help us to carry Jesus well. Lord, help us to be inside out and to do good and to love each other and reveal Jesus in our world. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Everybody said together. Amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic week. Make sure you stick around. we got our Family Fun Festival open out in Cabot Square. After second service, you can go down to the Connect Cafe and get a coffee. Say hi to somebody on your way out. We'll see you next Sunday.